Hey, buddies, fellow Franco fans, it is I, your host, Jason Rudy, from Desperate Visions Productions, a Sacramento, California-based filmmaking group headed by yours truly. And as of this recording, we are in pre-production and uh, getting ready to film here in about uh, two weeks or so on my segment of the horror anthology Amityville Aliens I am one of seven directors doing a uh, segment for the film it'll be about a 15-20 minute short Um, and I will uh, keep the title under wraps at this time of what my segment will be but uh, it will definitely involve Amityville and involve aliens and also uh, killers and other things like that so yeah, and have a lot of comedy, horror, and sci-fi elements to it. Um, kind of in cue with Jess Franco himself. Um, we are on now, episode 150, film 165, Dr. Wong's Virtual Hell. And um starting to feel like this podcast is becoming a certain hell for me. At this point in the Jess Franco canon of films, um, like I said before, I used to be really excited to watch these films uh, when we first were going through about 85% or so of the, of the canon, but now we're up to the uh, nitty-gritty, the last 11 films that I have of his. Uh, there's a few of his I, I don't still have, I don't have still, uh, from his canon, um, so those we won't be covering because I don't know, I don't want to torture myself any further, I guess. But uh, yeah, so. But uh, yeah, we'll uh, do what I have and uh, do do a good basic one over of most of what we got here. So, um, all right. Well, I'm just going to jump right into this. Uh, I think this is probably going to be a solo review after the break. Um, but you'll hear and know when I know. So, but as of this recording. Uh, for this segment, there's just going to be a solo review, so I can knock this out. Because uh, right now things are starting to back up, and I need to uh, put my focus on getting the films made and also doing um, editing still on Shino's Ferratsu and doing some stuff on that. So I can't keep devoting every time on this podcast because, uh, you know, it's a labor of love. doesn't pay a dime. Well, actually, one person is uh, donates every week, so I do appreciate that. Nobody else steps up, so... That's what you get. So, all right, here we go. All right, uh, film one, fi- film uh, we're here one sixty five. Doctor Wong. Actually, this is film one sixty six. Excuse me, film one sixty six. Doctor Wong's Virtual Hell. That's the USA DVD title. It's a USA and Spain production, made in the year of nineteen ninety eight. Alternative title: El Infierno Virtual del Wong. Spanish DVD. Production companies, One Shot Productions of USA. And then, of course, Jess's company, Manicoa Films, out of Spain, which I do like. Uh, video DVD distributor on this is Sabrosa Studios and the USA. And that's it. Uh, timeline. Shot this. It just says 98, 1998. It doesn't say any month or year or anything. Uh, the Spanish Velovision DVD is 2002. The U.S. DVD release, March 28th, 2006. Wow, that's a big jump. Uh, Yeah, like eight years after they shot it for the USA market. Uh, Running time, Spain. The Impactico DVD is 97 minutes, 10 seconds, which I think is the one I have. Uh, And the U.S. uh, Subrosa. No, actually, I have the Subrosa. Subrosa DVD is 97 minutes, 3 seconds. The one I have is a double feature with the film Helter Skelter is the way they put it out over here. Uh, director, of course, you don't need to ask, but I'll still tell, Jess Franco. Writer, Jess Franco. Producers, Kevin Collins, Peter J. Ivanko. Associate producers, Hugh Gallagher, Karen Wong. That's interesting. Music, Jess Franco. Director of photography, Raquel Cabra. Actually, Jess Franco. Editing and visual effects, Juan Jose Villar. Uh, makeup, Eric Salcidio. Production manager, Josh Kalman. Um, we got a first assistant director, stills photographer, camera assistant, electricians, best boy. Uh, how about a key, 
and gaffer. Uh, special effects, uh, graphics, lab, technical supplies, negative. We got songs. Dr. Wong's Hell and Mr. Nobody Blues, composed by Jess Franco, performed by Shawin. My Fly, composed and performed by Shawin. Oh, this is going to be bad. Uh, <laughs> I haven't watched it yet, so I'm just kind of thinking about the music. The music in that last few have been really bad. Uh, Piano Siderona Monologues for Vina and Chitara, composed and performed by Daniel J. White. Uh, thanks and appreciations. We got uh, additional credits for One Shot website. Virtual Dance Locations. Wow, Virtual Dance Choreographer. That's interesting. All right, uh, cast Jess Franco plays Dr. James Wong. Anelia Evars plays Loba. Howard Vernon plays Caligastro. He gets old footage. Uh, Lena Romay as Candy Coster plays Nellie Smith and Sai Ming. Pedro Timbori as Peter Timbori plays Doc Petrie. Raquel Cabra as Rachel Shepard plays Rita. Robert King plays Wilfred. Joaquin Sanchez Miranda as... Joaquin Fair plays the doorman. Tommy Chase plays the first guy in the virtual reality bar. Saul Klink plays the second guy in the virtual reality bar. Additional credits from One Shot website. Casey Yip plays the she-dragon dancer. I'm just going to go ahead and read the synopsis because it's pretty short. Knock it out on this side. Uh, the evil Dr. Wong, tired and disillusioned after decades of failure, is about to commit Harry Carey. His daughter, Sai Ming, intervenes and suggests a last-ditch plan to make them both rich. They will kidnap a millionaire's daughter and demand a ransom. Using virtual reality, Sai Ming hypnotizes the millionaire. When he comes around, he receives a message from Sai Ming via his television. Two million dollars for the safe return of his daughter, or else she'll be trapped forever at Dr. Wong's virtual hell. Two inept but persistent directors, Nellie Smith and Doc Petrie, Managed to disrupt the doctor's plans with the help of Caligastro, a magician whose powers stretch out from beyond the grave. All right. Production notes, of course, from the book Flowers of Perversion, The Delirious Cinema of Jesus Franco, Volume 2 by Stephen Thrower. All right. We've got quite a bit on this one, so buckle in, buckle up, hold on, let's roll. Alright, production notes. Described on the producer's website as the infamous Lost one-shot film, this marks the only co-production between Kevin Collins' company and Franco's long-standing solo production house, Manicoa Films. Oddly, Dr. Wong's Virtual Hell sat on the shelf for four years before emerging on DVD from Velovision in Spain in 2002. A further four years later, it was released in the USA rather ignominiously as an extra on the Sub Rosa DVD of Franco's Snake Woman. Huh. Uh, Pedro Timburi, that's because mine's a double feature, and I have a different disc. Pedro Timburi conform, confirmed in an online discussion at the Franconomicon site that the film was made at the same time as Vampire Blues. This was the fourth, if I remember correctly, that Franco did in Malaga in this last stage. If, if in the film, if in the film three we looked like a conventional film shoot, that doesn't make sense. Filmed in Super 16 with a team of about 15 people in Dr. Wong and Vampire Blues, which were made back-to-back. As Jess likes to say, the technical team was reduced to five and recorded on video, I think the first in that format. Point a 35mm camera at even the most banal location, and you will find, when you watch the footage, that it has entered the charmed world of cinema. Nothing is so ordinary that it cannot be transformed, alchemized, projected through a cinemature into the parallel world of film. At 24 frames a second, film confers an immaculate aesthetic distance, no matter how rude or lowly the material. Celluloid is a magic veil and imparts transcendence to the things you see through it. Video images, on the other hand, have no veil. It doesn't matter if you're looking at a sexy vampire lady sucking blood in the Carpathians or a junkie shooting up in a multi-story car park. There's no transcendence, no transmutation. There is only detail. Relentless and unmediated. The Greek director, Iorgos Lanthimos, who shot his art house film The Lobster digitally, but returned to film for The Killing of Sacred Deer, puts it like this. I don't want to shoot digitally again, if at all possible. I like the fact that film transforms the image into something different. 
usually more beautiful. But even when film is ugly, it is ugly in a transcendent way. Occasionally, experiments with lighting and degradation of the image can find its way across the abyss between film and video, as in David Lynch's Inland Empire. And by foregrounding technical paraphernalia and skillfully simulating real life, you can make a virtue of the flatness of the image, a.k.a. Blair Witch Project. In the last ten years, state-of-the-art post-production has brought the two realms so close together that the abyss is almost invisible. But we're talking about the late 90s and early 2000s here. Franco lacked the money for the best techno tools, and basically they were still in their infancy. Consequently, most of the video work was stranded in a cheap-looking digital purgatory. The projects Franco made in between 1998 and 2012 vary in their approach to the problem, and some are more successful than others, but underlying all of them is one central problem. Video footage in its raw state looks, to speak as bluntly as Franco, like shit. The decision Franco took to corrode the surface of his video films with optical effects was clearly an attempt to rectify this, and frankly, he rarely succeeded. In Dr. Wong's virtual hell, however, he does at least find witty and plausible ways to contextualize what we see. All right, review by Stephen Thoreau. 45 minutes of story means 50 minutes of sexy dancing in this daft but surprisingly enjoyable skitter through the trappings of the Fu Manchu movie cycle. If such a balance sounds unsustainable, remember that we are now firmly in the digital era of Franco's work, so no one will ever have to watch this opus without a remote control to hand. Oh, the mercies of modern technology. I approached Dr. Wong's virtual hell with trepidation. Just Franco does virtual reality on videotape with a one-shot budget while rummaging through his favorite yellow apparel cliches. The omens were not auspicious. I have to say, though, that while I succumbed to the lure of the fast-forward button a few times in the middle sections of the film, I found the rest quite amusing, especially as Franco fires off all sorts of allusions to his earlier work. It's impossible to discuss Dr. Wong's virtual hell without mentioning the multitude of other texts to which it refers. The titular Dr. Wong points back to Franco's La Sombra del Judoco contra el Dr. Wong, 1982 another bad film, in which he also played the title role. Both films purloined their lead character's name from musty old monogram release, The Mysterious Mr. Wong, 1934, starring Bela Lugosi. In spirit, however, Dr. Wong's virtual hell is designed to echo the 1960s Fu Manchu films, two of which, The Blood of Fu Manchu and The Castle of Fu Manchu, Franco directed, which I actually kind of like. Uh, Dr. Wong is therefore simply a public domain fig leaf for that more infamous oriental villain. There's no doubt he's meant to be the same person. Wong refers to the previous humiliating defeats he has suffered, including a failed attempt to freeze the Caribbean Sea, which Fu Manchu attempted in the castle of Fu Manchu. Best of all is the scene in which Wong tries to remember his famous catchphrase, The world shall hear from me again, but owing to advanced senility gets it pathetically wrong. The world will be informed of all I want to do. <laughs> It's not just the fil- villain- villainous Fu Manchu who's swirling around in the pot here. His dogged opponents are referred, referenced to. Nayland Smith, the doughty British hero played by Richard Green in the 60s films, is replaced here by Leon Romay as Nellie Smith. Uh, n- no, Nayland hasn't had a sex change. Nellie is his daughter. Romay plays two roles in the film. She's also Dr. Wong's daughter, Sai Ming, who helps him just as Fu Manchu was assisted by his devoted daughter, Ling Tang. In the mysterious Dr. Wong, the villain had a niece, but she was a goody-goody rather than a chip off the old block. The character's name, Sai Ming, echoes Sai Chen, the actress who played Lin Tang. Got it? Okay. Nellie Smith also enlists the help of her boyfriend, Doc Petrie, presumably the son of Dr. Ronald Petrie, played by Howard Marion Crawford in the Fu Manchu films. My father and uncle have killed him at least 20 times, but he never dies, says Nellie when discussing Dr. Wong with her young beau. This raises a question. Does she mean Dr. Petrie when she says uncle? Nayland Smith and Dr. Petrie were inseparable friends in the Fu Manchu films. If Petrie is Nellie's uncle, then Smith must at some point have married Petrie's sister, making the two men brothers-in-law. The previous undisclosed backstory has the additional side effect of making Nellie's boyfriend her cousin, thus allowing Franco to squeeze some incest into the picture. Also helping Nellie in her fight against Dr. Wong is the exotic figure of Caligastro, 
a megalomaniacal mesmerist and magician last seen in Franco's The Erotic Rites of Frankenstein, 1972, and Los Glutonis, 1973. Time seems to have mellowed him considerably. In days gone by, he would have been the wicked Wong's ally, not a helpmate for the good guys. But if time has wrought changes to his character, his appearance hasn't altered in the least. That's because Franco boldly incorporates shots from the erotic rites of Frankenstein so that Howard Vernon can live again in the Franco universe. He's dubbed by someone else, of course, with lines more suited to his new role, but it's thrilling and strangely touching to see his wide-eyed gaze again. We're even shown for a few sweet seconds the great mesmerist standing on the balcony of his magnificent castle, the Placio Conde Castro Grimaldi's in Cascais. He also gains a first name, although one has to say it doesn't really fit his image. Johnny Caligastro is about as far removed from plausibility as Freddie Fu Manchu or Barry Orloff. Disrespectful? I don't think so. Bearing in mind Franco's great regard for his erstwhile leading man and nothing, and noting the on-screen dedication to Howard Vernon at the end, we can be sure that it was done with affection and would probably have inspired a roar of laughter from the actor himself. Wilfred, the millionaire father of a teenage girl abducted by Wong, watches TV while waiting for news from his kidnappers. As luck would have it, he tunes to a screening of Jess Franco's Esclavos de Crimen, 1986, yet another hymn to all things Erstaz Oriental. It features Romé playing the daughter of Fu Manchu, although to, although to avoid too great and intertextual strain on Dr. Wong's ramshackle reality, all that Wilfred sees is Esclavos de Crimen's hero, played by acting unknown Marco Moriarty, karate kicking a couple thugs. In one of two stylistic nods to other media, the second being virtual reality, of which more in a moment, comic book speech bubbles are digitally superimposed over the action here and there, reminding us of the similarly attired Lucky the Inscrutable, 1966, and Bangkok Chita con le Morete, 1984, in which Franco used the device to lend a farcical or ironic dimension to live-action comedy adventures, but whereas the comic speech bubbles in those films felt rather lame and poorly integrated, here they work much better. There's a real commitment to the notion of comic book graphics, and the technological tools are at hand to lend the film an authentic comic strip look. The best example is the scene in which Nellie and Petrie approach the lair of Dr. Wong. Nellie feels the supernatural evil of the villain encroaching her consciousness, at which point the image takes on a heavily stylized color overlay. Motion is supplanted by a series of still images, and the two continue their conversation in speech bubbles. With this, the image of Nellie's face starts to move again. Um, let me skip over that. Um... Frank was folding together three layers of communication here, comic strip aesthetics, the notion of virtual reality, and the mass of intertextual references which constitute the plot. It's interesting that comic strips are an example of a discrete world of alternative medium for which Franco has often shown love and admiration before. The erotic rites of Frankenstein, from which he draws the footage of Howard Vernon, is an especially opposed connection, drawing as it does so quite explicitly on the tradition of the fumetti, which is a sexy and violent comic strip from Italy. The use of comic strip iconography, such as speech bubbles and color processing designed to simulate the two-strip color of comic books is a direct link to the notion of other worlds. Virtual reality, on the other hand, is a concept which was gaining currency among tech-oriented media commentators in a run-up to the millennium. Franco visualizes it as the means by which we will watch pornography in the future which, let's be honest, remains as likely as a market tentpole now as it was then. However, his attitude to this proposed new technology, technological window for sexy spectacles, essentially, offering his usual footage of girls wriggling at the camera with optical filters to suggest the technosphere. On the other hand, he's rather skeptical. One might almost say stick in the mud about it. They call it art, but it's only porno, complains one VR user. Virtual reality is just a dirty show, says another. A row of three VR users commentate, comment one after another. I definitely like virtual reality, says one. It's better than reality. Da, da, da. Okay, to access the virtual hill of Dr. Wong, characters in the film must don special glasses. Perhaps the funniest and creepiest element of the film, these glasses have photographic images of human eyes stuck over the lenses, giving those who wear them a very peculiar continents indeed. The oddity and comic strangeness echoes one of Franco's best films from the 80s, El Sexo Este Loco. Yes, Sex is Crazy, which is a good film. 
uh, which showed a group of silver aliens putting on a nude sex show in a nightclub for the delection of an audience wearing rubber joke store masks. In both cases, the effect is comical but also unsettling. In Dr. Wong's virtual hell, these glasses suggest alienation and displacement. One senses a certain eminence toward the technology, underlying which is the echo of Franco's similarly negative take on drug use. He seems to be drawing a parallel between the drug experience for which he has often expressed contempt and being swallowed up by immersion in a simulated world. This is an accurate summary of his position. Then the multiple references to his other world work here, as well as the blatant video effects and numerous fourth wall breaking asides, are expressions of a Godarian desire to subvert one's immersion in fiction, forcing us to stand back and acknowledge the artificially, artificiality of the experience, thus holding on to the cause conscious awareness, which is all very well, but what do the virtual reality glasses show to those poor, derided consumers, customers? Fifty minutes of sexy gyration filmed in the style for which Jess Franco is famous. This seems rather like having your Brechtian cake and eating it with fancy icing on top. Perhaps what's really at play here is simply the resistance to change of an older man who has dedicated his life to one medium above all and now reads about the supposed obsolescence of that medium at the dawn of virtual reality. Twenty years later, and we're no closer to VR usurping the movies, so let's put the matter aside and write it off an example of how easily contemporary sci-fi dates. There's fun to be had with the film, but there's also way too much trading of water, masquerading as sexy softcore. As if to prove that VR is a wasteful squandering of human consciousness, by far the weakest aspect of the film is a supposedly erotic virtual reality sequence which squats like a giant techno toad in the middle of the film, and gobbles up 50 minutes of one's valuable time. Better get used to it, though, if you intend to push on through Franco's post-one-shot films, many of which dispert with the plot altogether and play like Dr. Wong's virtual hell without the wraparound story. <laughs> yeah, there we go. All right, Franco on screen. Cheerfully playing a stereotypical Chinese supervillain with a mouthful of comedy false teeth and not a care in the world for racial sensitivities, Franco is unlikely to be hailed for his thoughtful reimagining of the yellow, yellow peril stereotype. On the other hand, if anyone can make it through this film in a straight-faced rage about racism and cultural appropriation, they're more of a danger to the world than Sax Romer ever was. Cast and crew. Anilia Evars puts in, a f in the fourth of her six appearances in Franco's 1990 films, here playing Loba, Lena Romay's sexy psychic, who becomes the central attraction in the virtual hell segments. She also appears as the sexually voracious Furia in Tender Flesh, which is a good part. The hero's rich bitch stepmother in Lust for Frankenstein, uh, and Queen Vicious in Mari Cookie and the Killer Tarantula. She followed Dr. Wong with his starring role as Countess Arena von Murnau in Vampire Blues. With financing coming from one-shot productions in the USA, it was important for the American producers to have a reliable Spanish production manager overseeing and coordinating coordinating things that's interesting on the grounds uh, enter Pedro Timbori whose short film Psycholets about a gang of biker girls who castrate and murder men had been bought by French distributors Canal Plus in 1986 while attending various festivals with this film Timbori met Jess Franco who was promoting Killer Barbies at the time by now Franco had settled permanently in Malaga Timbori's hometown the two men struck up a friendly and supportive relationship, and Tumburi took on the roles of production manager and assistant director on Franco's Tender Flesh, Lester Frankenstein, Dr. Wong's Virtual Hell, and Vampire Blues. Franco, in turn, appeared on screen in Tumburi's knockabout exploitation comedies Karate e Morete in Torremolinos, 2003, See You Later, Calabunga, La Mad <laughs> wow. uh, Madalosian del... Sinatrio Diabolico, 2004, and finally, Elos Robaron La Pinche de Hitler, also known as They Stole Hitler's Dick, 2006. <laughs> Music. It's great to hear, once again, a very odd, gamely influenced piece by Daniel White, who was originally used for, which was originally used for the opium smoking sequence in Dr. Orloff's Monster, 1964, before emerging a few years later on White's library LP, Monologue Poor. To 1972, under the title Monologue Poor Gong. Also making an appearance are Reflets de Chine and Reflets de Pakistan from White's Musique Poor, 1972. 
1968, and Monologue Pour Tabales 2 from yet another album called Monologue Pour, P-O-U-R, released in 1976, although there were four Daniel J. White Library LPs with the same title. The clips from Esclavia del Crimon is freshly dubbed over with Hurs de Harleen from the Daniel White LP Mystery Blute. All right, getting close here. Uh, locations, Torre Molinos and Benela Medina, Spain. Dr. Wong's lair is a meeting room at the Apartamentos Torre de la Roca in Torre Molinos. For the Chinese-style exterior of Wong's base, Franco chose a Chinese-style pavilion that formed part of the amusement park called Trivoli World in Benela Medina, just a short walk up from the coast of Castillo de Bilbil used in Mil Sexos Tine La Noche. The ornate and fantastical palace used to signify the home of Johnny Caligastro is the Castillo Monumento Colomares in Benala Madena. Despite appearances, there is no second unit sent to Thailand. Instead, Franco recycled footage of Bangkok and Patia collected by Juan Solar in 84 for the back-to-back productions, trip to Bangkok, coffin included, and uh, Bangkok Sita Con La Morete. Connections in a film virtually composed of connections to Franco's past work. There's not a lot to add here that hasn't been mentioned above. Perhaps we can use this opportunity to wonder, with a shudder of dismay, why Lena Romay decided to voice Sai Ming with the same squeaky, cutesy voice she used for the talking asshole in El Huete de Luli, Lulu, 1985, Lulu's asshole. Uh, several sequences in Virtual Hell are scored to a mixture of music and echoed voices, the latter simply looping the phrase 67. 69, 3-5, at various speeds like some arcane code. Is it meant to summon memories of the opening theme to Vampiros Lesbos with its heavily processed voice reeling off imprintable news from nowhere? So, all right. Lots they got written here on that, so that's good. Knock that out. All right. So, I'm going to be watching this and uh, giving you my review of Dr. Wong's Virtual Hell. Um... It's almost like, like I said, for taking a trip to the doctor that you kind of don't want to do, but you got to do it because you got to commit. So, you know, I'm up to 150 episodes. This should run uh, the normal episodes. I might do some special things after. We'll see. But right now we're looking at about 161 episodes this will end at. So this is the end of the run. 11 episodes left. So let's do this. All right. Give a little bit of quick plugs here before the break. After the break, you'll hear my uh, Blu-ray DVD commercial I recorded a little bit back. Give you information on Blu-rays to order. I would sincerely appreciate it if you got the time and you got the cash to pick up my uh, Blu-ray output. I've been working really hard and uh, putting some of my back catalog and newer films on Blu-ray. On Blu-ray right now, available for purchase, $20 each. Um, from me or from my storefront website, which will ship out anywhere uh, around the world. You can order from them with credit card or PayPal, and, and they'll take care of you too. We have for sale Mondo Sacramento, uh, Manuel and Sin City, Lady Hyde, uh, the short films of Jason Rudy Volume 1 and Volume 2, the nudie cutie double feature of The Desires of Dawn and Mondo Vision, and Sukibon Octopus Pot 15th Anniversary Edition. So yeah, those seven releases right now, all available for you. And uh, working on post-production now of Shino's Ferratu, which should be out by the end of the year, and starting pre-production on the segment for Amityville Aliens, the Donald Farmer-led horror sci-fi anthology film. So yeah, we got those sub Blu-rays out. Also, you can support me by watching Lady Hyde on Tubi or Amazon Prime or Mondo Sacramento 2. The second one is on Tubi as well. Uh, You can watch those, and uh, every time people watch those, I get a little bit of money from them, so that's always cool. Uh, If you ever want to donate, which I say week after week, but nobody hears (laughs) or or acts on it, you can on the uh, homepage for the Franco Observer Podcast, the Red Circle page. Click on that. There's a little link, and you can throw some money my way. I'd appreciate it. Uh, subscribe if you like. Download all the episodes. They're always there for free on the Red Circle page. But you can also subscribe. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, 
Stitcher, which is getting ready to end, so I last longer than them, uh, Radio Public, and many more of your favorite platforms. You can also rate the podcast, leave a review. I'd appreciate it. Any good reviews, always bump the podcast up to other people checking it out. Um, we usually average about seven, 800 uh, downloads a month, so it's always a nice thing to see that you spend the time to do it and people actually like it and listen to it, so it's always thank you for doing that. Uh, if you like the show, if you like Desperate Visions, if you want to help me out, tell a friend, tell people about it. Like I always say, the worst thing you could do is keep the information to yourself because that doesn't help anybody but you and I. So let's help me and tell people about Desperate Visions Productions, all the Blu-rays you can get, all the downloaded episodes for free you can listen to. Tell people about us, Franco Observer Podcast and Desperate Visions Productions. Uh, Lady Hyde, Emmanuel, and Sin City, Tubi, all that good stuff. Uh, if you want to get a hold of me and order the Blu-rays, you can at DesperateVisions at Yahoo.com. Or if you want to get a hold of me about the podcast, you can at FrancoObserver at Yahoo.com. Uh, we also have a Facebook page and an Instagram page sp- specifically for the Franco Observer Podcast. Look up Franco Observer Podcast on Instagram or Facebook and you'll find us. Go ahead and add us there. And you'll see all the new news about uh, the productions, the episodes, pictures, all that good stuff. So, All right, well, that's another uh, segment here in the books for the Franco Observer Podcast. Hang out past the break, and you'll hear what I think about Dr. Wong's virtual hell. Buenas noches, maha. Buenas noches. This is filmmaker Jason Rudy with Desperate Visions Productions, and I'm here today to talk to you about my Blu-ray releases. All new this year, 2023, from Desperate Visions Productions. This has been a busy year for me, as I have put out Lady Hyde on streaming services, Emmanuel and Sin City on streaming channels, and my film from 2013, Mondo Sacramento 2, which is on streaming channels. Lady Hyde is on Tubi and Amazon Prime. Emmanuel and Sin City is on the Reveal Network and a few other streaming channels. And Mondo Sacramento 2 is on Tubi and Momitu. So please check those three titles out and tell others about them. On the Blu-ray front, I am here today to talk to you about the six new releases from Desperate Visions Productions. We have the short films of Jason Rudy, Volume 1, titled Dirty Deeds and Desperate Visions. It has four short films, totaling 117 minutes long, is unrated, and has the special feature of the Creative Process Volume 1 interview by Cameron Cloutier of yours truly, Jason Rudy, talking about my filmography and stories behind the films. On Dirty Deeds and Desperate Visions Volume 1, we have the films Room 412 from 2007, The Last Road to Hell from 2008, Chump Change from 2010, and the Dirty ABC Rhyme from 2016. On the short films of Jason Rudy Volume 2, we have, titled Demon Dames and Desperate Visions, we have the films Lady M from 2010, The Hunt for Super Fox from 2014, Simone La Femme de Mon from 2015, and Report 2057 from 2016. That runs approximately 116 minutes, is unrated, and has the special feature of the Creative Process Interview Part 2, which is a continuation um, of the past films and all that good stuff. Also, we have a late-night Nudie Cutie Cinema double feature featuring two films, two Nudie Cutie films from yours truly, uh, titled The Desires of Dawn, and Jason Rudy's Mondo Visions. The Desires of Dawn is from 2014 and runs 66 minutes, unrated, 
and Mondo Visions is from 2016 and runs 65 minutes, and that is unrated. Total running time on that is 131 minutes. It's 1080p high definition widescreen, and all discs are AV- AVC encoded and PCM stereo. And these two films each have audio commentary with writer director Jason Rudy. I give uh, brand new audio commentaries recorded specifically for these Blu rays. Uh, the Desires of Dawn was previously on VHS, uh, on, uh, excuse me, on DVD. Monovisions uh, had a short theatrical run, but this is the first time anywhere it's on home disc in the United States or worldwide. So, yeah, brand new film, so check it out. And we also have, of course, Lady Hyde from 2022. It's unrated, runs 78 minutes, is 1920 by 1080p full HD resolution, AVC encoded, PCM stereo. And that has the special features of audio commentary with writer-director Jason Rudy, theatrical trailer, and a Lady Hyde behind-the-scenes photo gallery. And, uh, yeah, it's a good release. All these are region-free, by the way, so if you're listening to this anywhere in the world, they are available to play on your Blu-ray player. There's no region A, B, or C. They're all encoded to be region-free. And finally, the last two discs we have are... Emmanuel in Sin City, the uncensored version. A lot of uh, Tubi and Amazon Prime would not take it because of the sexual content, so this is totally uncensored, totally uncut, and was deemed too erotic and extreme for major streaming channels. But you will see it here on Blu-ray. And that has, of course, special featured audio commentary with myself, Jason Rudy, trailer reel, and... Uh, exclusive behind-the-scenes photos, and more. So that's from 2023, which is the newest film. And finally, uh, the sixth release, which we just put together, is Mondo Sacramento from 2011, I believe. No, sorry, 2012. And that's 63 minutes, unrated. Special features, audio commentary, recorded specifically for... Actually, no, it's the... um, the audio commentary that we used for the DVD release of it years ago with uh, actress Boots Trader, who's in the Batgirl segment, and actress Sondal G, who is in the Ricky the Vampire of Sacramento segment. So we have, uh, and then of course with myself as well, so we have writer-director and uh, actor commentary on that. And then we have uh, a never-before-seen behind-the-scenes footage um, that I found for the Batgirl stripper sequence that uh, was pretty cool. Nobody's ever seen that before, so that's a special feature on that. And a behind-the-scenes pictures of the filming and of the premiere of Mondo Sacramento back in 2012. And, uh, yeah, so that's available. All six releases, which is 13 films total are now released on Blu-ray, and they are sold by myself, the director and producer of the films. If you are interested in picking up any of the Blu-rays, they sell for $20 each, plus shipping and handling if you're ordering them online or anywhere outside of Sacramento. Uh, If you want to have information on that, you can always find me and inquire about purchasing the discs on the Franco Observer page on Instagram, the Franco Observer page on Facebook, or you could write me at DesperateVisions at Yahoo.com. That's DesperateVisions at Yahoo.com, which is the Desperate Visions Productions email address. Um, And if you want to purchase all six in one swoop, I will give you a discount, and uh, pretty much the discount you save will pay for the shipping and handling. So, yeah, please support fellow independent cinema. And this is a one-man operation, so I sincerely appreciate your support. So, yeah, once again, Emmanuel in Sin City, Lady Hyde, Mondo Sacramento, the late-night nudie cutie cinema double feature, and the short films of Jason Rudy Volume 1 and Volume 2, all available on Blu-ray, disc, region-free, 
with lots of special features. So pick them up today. DesperateVisions at Yahoo.com. Thanks for your support, and I'll see you at the movies. All right, I am back for episode 150, film 166, Dr. Wong's Virtual Hell. And it was a virtual hell to watch this. Um, man, you know, <clears throat> I feel like I'm always in remission here and always offering, off, offering up a apology that... Um, Compared to the earlier episodes when I first started this podcast, you know, it's like, I always knew this was going to be a hard portion to go through, and it really is, but um, I'll say being a former wrestler, I've always been taught to persevere, and wrestlers never quit, wrestlers are tough dudes, and uh, I went through a lot of training in, in my past, and really went through a lot of torture, so watching these films have kept me from tapping out because trust me over these last few movies i really wanted to go okay i'm i'm cool with franco you know i've watched all the good stuff that's cool but no i i i gotta i gotta i gotta finish the race we're almost through we got you know 10 left 10 or 11 episodes or so left so you know i keep thinking that in my head um because yeah i want to see where we're at here we're at 150 and this is gonna go yes we go out another uh 10 or 11 after this so I'm gonna push through I keep telling myself I gotta do good so alright so this film is Dr. Wong's Virtual Hell and I already made the Virtual Hell joke um it's supposed to be as you heard in the first half kind of a Fu Manchu type deal but um it's filmed on video and it's funny cause it's like I you know as a filmmaker it, really no micro budget type deal i shoot on obviously video and franco did as well and videos came a long way from when this was shot it was 98 to now 2023 it's 25 years and things have improved and i go through and i do a lot of post-production on my films and make them look like film you know the best i can and you know but it's like i'm kind of a snob with film because like i'll watch like the other day, I watched Mario Bava's Bay of Blood, and I'll watch, uh, you know, Takeshi Kitano's Violent Cop and, and Boiling Point, those films. And then I got to watch something like this. I'm just like, oh my God, it's just so hard and so different than these other films. And it sucks because Frank was really good, and, and Frank was a really cool filmmaker, and he was slapdash, and some people like to slam him on certain things, but I really stand behind his work up to a certain point. And this film or these films are past that point, the one shot productions. But it's really sad because it's like like I've said before, I really do sympathize and emphasize with always putting out productions and maybe if you don't have the, all the money and you want to still be prolific and, and be creative and, and put your stuff out there. I mean, I, I stand behind a person doing that, but then on the other hand too I don't know, man. Sometimes you gotta know when to throw in the towel and just say, "God, I guess I don't have it anymore," or, or, or it's not my thing, or whatever. I mean, and sometimes I even feel that way with certain things. If I don't get the recognition or um, the support that other filmmakers that are my peers that do the same micro budget stuff locally or or in the same state or the same region go through, so I mean, it's kind of a self confession time here. But, uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I sometimes feel that way, like, wow, why isn't this person, why is this person getting all this and I'm not, or, or whatever, you know. So I kind of empathize with what he's going through here, but, man, dude, it's just like, you see this and it's like something that somebody of a much lesser filmmaker than Franco would do. So it's really sad and 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 um, very troubling to see Franco do films like this when I, you know he could do better and he has done better and I know it's what he's working with his limitations but a sword is a sword in the hands of the swordsman whereas you can have a really beautiful sword and the person swinging the sword 
is going to make it trash, or you can have just a basic sword, and if the swordsman is an exquisite, skilled swordsman, that that equipment is, is raised to the next level. So I feel like Franco could have raised the level of the work that he was working on here, but I don't know if he just got lazy or, or just got something his mind or I don't, I don't know I, just, I really can't fathom it so it's kind of interesting to go through this this uh, this sequence and this uh, stage in his career so alright well I'm going to go through and kind of knock out some of the notes I took because it's, it's really a lot of these films there's just like a basic idea and then a succession of scenes and really long sequences of nudity and uh girl-on-girl sex and simulated sex and uh, dancing, which, you know, it's it's a common trope for Franco films, but at least they had style and they looked really good and, uh, you know, they had a lot of stuff going for them. But, um, you know, with this, it's just like, oof, you know. Um, let's see what I'm going to go through over here. There's something that he had that I wanted to mention part of the music um let's see do 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 oh maybe it's on this other side alrighty so um that's weird hmm okay so uh oh there it is okay cool alrighty so uh it starts off with Franco's narration and he's narrating as so Franco does basically a lot of the voiceover he's here he does the voiceover as the character Caligastro um, and his very thick accent, um, which you think it's supposed to be Franco as Wong, but he's doing the voices click his throat. And it uh, starts off with him narrating it with the Howard Vernon footage um, from past films. So you see that. I think it's like Frankenst- one of the Frankenstein erotic rights of Frankenstein or something. Um, but uh, yeah, so you see that. It kind of sets it up. It's like he's, like a lot of the stuff mentioned in the first half of the episode. I'm not going to go over as much because it's just repeating. But yeah, it's it's very comic book style opening. All the voice bubbles. He does it like a comic strip, which is cool. Gives it a little style with what he's doing. But he's still doing a lot of solarization stuff. A lot of really bad overdubbing. um, Trying to be funny. uh, Using a lot of ancient uh, um, Asian like fake voicing stuff. And it's just... It's not as much offensive. It's just very juvenile and just silly and just dumb, you know. Um, so, yeah, that's that's something that I caught off it. Uh, three minutes, 39 seconds into the film, you have the first nudity, which, of course, is Lena Romay. Uh, very comic book op- style opening with voice bubbles. I mentioned that. Lots of solarization effects. I mentioned that. Uh, like the first 12 minutes, like nothing really happens. It just kind of goes through and he tries to like set the mood and show these like still shots of solarization and people standing still where it looks like it's supposed to be a comic book panel and it's just very very odd um which one thing was thought was funny was lena basically plays franco's daughter which we know about that but that's that was kind of funny to see her as his daughter um and franco has these fake big teeth and he's overdubbed by himself so it's kind of really cheesy looking almost like a jerry lewis nutty professor teeth or whatever um Actually, I don't know if he has big teeth in that, but yeah, he does the... Oh, the hardly working, where he has the fake, quote-unquote, Asian oversized teeth. Um, let's see. We have the virtual reality dance scenes with the piano jazz. is nice. Yeah, so there was a nice scene with music-wise, but of course it goes on way too long, but if it would have been like two minutes or something, which is cool because, like, you know, like I always... When I got into this podcast, I've learned a lot from Franco Films, and this is another good reason for me to watch these, too, is to learn what I sometimes do wrong and what can make a film sink is the length of certain sequences. And with this, I, I, I saw that like a lot of the sequences go on way too long and there's germs of ideas. And I don't know if he's doing it to pad it out. Cause this was like 97 minutes and it really could have been like 45 minutes and would have been maybe decent. I don't know if I'm giving too much credit there, but there's some things that he just, like goes on way too long like 10 minute scenes that could have been two minutes but then you lose say eight minutes on each scene five scenes that's 40 minutes and that's basically cuts in half so i think he's just doing it to try to make a feature out of it but yeah i don't know so yeah the virtual dance scenes with the piano jazz is nice we have some of the daniel j white music 
and uh, Anelia Ivers um, dancing because basically they do this deal where these people go in they put on these glasses and they have like the fake eyes in front of them which I thought looked kind of cheesy but uh, and they're seeing this virtual reality sequence of where she's dancing but then it turns into like two women having sex and it has a really bizarre um, grids in their vision and it kind of changes what they see and kind of puts them under hypnosis which is a decent idea and, and that part wasn't bad um, the music was nice and the dance scenes were cool except then it goes way too long and then the, there's like masturbation and stuff and it just kind of I don't know just goofy after a while but it but there's there is some good parts in that scene uh, which is one of the few nice things I'll say I guess in this film uh, there's a lot of extreme close-ups during the dance scene, so we see Franco really getting his camera zooming in. I'll film a lot of zooms in and outs too. Um, and there's extreme, yeah, extreme close-ups during the dancing scene. Franco's doing his gynecological exam shots with those. Uh, long sections of slow mo dancing. Long sections, yeah, that's one thing he does. He's doing way too much in here. He's doing, he's taking a scene and then making it even longer by just doing slow motion in the thing. Where if he would have played it out, it would have been. A third of the time or half of the time but uh yeah he's really doing these long slow motion sequences of the dance scenes long slow motion sequences of sex scenes with lena and anelia avars and then uh scenes of anelia by herself and then a scene of uh, anelia avars whipping um this guy's daughter uh rita played by raquel cabra who's very attractive and, and she was decent in her part um She's like this millionaire's daughter who they kidnap or her father gets puts on the glasses and he's hypnotized and drops his daughter off there and she's held ransom for two million dollars. But the scene where Nelia whips the shit out of her and uh, that's like a slow motion scene. And I wrote, uh, there's no plot really to it, just long stretches and scenes of sex and dancing. That's a lot of this thing here. Um, when they put on these glasses, they hear this 67, 69, 3-5, 67, 69, 3-5, kind of like over the soundtrack over and over again. And uh, he wrote, uh, they're simply looping the phrase 67, 69, 3-5 at various speeds, like some arcane code. And almost it sounds like the beginning of Vampiros Lesbos, where you hear that <laughs> stuff, which is done so much better in Vampiros Lesbos than what this is. But... Um, and when the glasses are on, they hear that phrase, and basically the the millionaire's daughter's kidnapped, and for two million dollars ransom. Um, Franco before has mentioned Julio Iglesias, which is pretty funny. So in this one, he goes through a list of people who have paid a ransom, and he says, "Oh, we have the Julio Iglesias Foundation has paid two million dollars." So which is funny. I think he's done that once or twice before. I know at least once before. I don't know about the Julio Iglesias Foundation. I'm curious to look up to that to see if that was a real thing or what. Um, so basically, Lena, of course, plays two roles. She plays, uh, um, I guess, Sai Sing. Let's see. Uh, yeah, or uh, uh, Sai Ming. And then she also plays uh, uh, Doctor. Let's see if we get the right name here so I can give her at least the right credit. She plays also. Uh, Nellie Smith, the detective. So she basically, when um, her sidekick, let me go back in my notes here. Her, um, when she has her sidekick, not Nathan Smith, but it's um, uh, Doc Petrie, he puts on the glasses and gets hypnotized into the virtual sex deal. But she puts on the glasses and then switches them with glasses she got from Caligus Throw, where they're like the kind of the uh, John Lennon circle shades, but they have like the different uh, superimposed uh, floating eyes, and they put uh, Dr. Wong and, and uh, uh, Sai Ming in like a pause effect, and then they save the girl in the end. It's really just stupid. It's like something, I don't know, man, it's almost like a public access movie or something. Not that there's something wrong with public access, but you know what I mean. Uh, so yeah, Lena puts on different glasses not to be under the control uh, and uh, with the Howard Vernon footage, which is funny. They call him Johnny Caligastro, which I thought of like Johnny Carson. I don't know if that was his kind of uh, joke on Johnny Carson, uh, Johnny Caligastro. So at the very end, it says to Howard Vernon. So, I mean, I guess he's trying to be nice, but it's possible also he's doing it to like get away with using the footage. But if I was Howard Vernon, I'd be like, dude, just let me die. Don't put me in this 
damn movie. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I don't know. I'm not really going to talk a lot about this film because there's just not much to talk about. Um, I don't know. It's, it's video film, shot on video. Looks like a student film. And uh, I don't know. I, I bought all these films when I first got into Franco so I could have the whole collection. But I think probably, I don't know if I'm, I'll say this on tape. I think when I'm done with this podcast, I'm probably going to sell off some of my later uh, era Franco films. So if you're listening to this podcast and you want to buy these on DVD from me, send me an email and uh, I'll let you know because I don't think I'm going to keep a lot of these later stuff once I'm done watching it once. I mean, I'm going to keep all the good early stuff, but I'm going to thin out my collection a little bit. I'm not one to hold on to something if I don't care for it. So, yeah. So, you heard it, you heard it here first. So, if you're, if you're a regular listener and you want to get these later films and you're having a hard time finding them, I got good copies of them. So, get a hold of me and I'll hook you up. So, alrighty. So, let's go through this uh, Franco Observer checklist. This was a checklist we started way back when that basically goes over reoccurring themes, tropes, uh, situations, different things that pop up in Franco films from time to time, sometimes all the time, different eras, like the sheepskin rug and stuff was more the Dietrich films. So as time went on, these kind of disappeared. But for continuity's sake and for prosperity, I like to keep the list going. So until we got another 10 episodes left, and then you won't hear it again. So. All right, number one on the Franco Observer Checklist, Body of Water. Yes, it starts off with Body of Water right off the bat. You see uh, ocean, and uh, you see boats on the ocean, which is number three. Uh, but number two, sailboats. No, there's actually no sailboats in the film, just boats on the ocean. So number three is boats, yes. Number four, palm trees. Yes, you see palm trees in the film. Pretty much if it's in Spain, you're going to see the palm trees. Uh, number five, jungle sound effects. No, no jungle sound effects, but there are plenty of other sound effects dubbed in the film, but nothing in the jungle. Uh, number six, a chained up person. Yeah, the daughter, uh, Rita, Raquel Cabrera, she's kind of like, has her hands above her head, held captive, and like a rope around her hands. You don't bar- you barely see it, but I'll, I'll still count it. Uh, number seven, dance scenes on stage stripping. Yeah, there's no stage, but Anila Avars is stripping in front of the people, five or six people sitting around tables watching her. So I'll, I'll count that as like a strip club. And it's a long sequence, so it does its thing. Uh, number eight, club scenes. People dancing together in a bar. No, we don't see anything like that. Uh, they shoot in just a couple rooms in this and the hotel rooms type deals. So, yeah, there's nothing like that. Uh, number nine, jazz music. Yeah, there's a lot of different music, but there is the Daniel J. White jazz music I mentioned um, when Anelia Evars is dancing, which is pretty nice. That's probably one of the highlights of the film. Kind of had a little bit of Franco feel to that, which I liked. Number ten, excessive zooms. Oh, hell yeah. This film zoomed in and out so many times. Uh, and zooms are okay. Like I was watching um, Bay of Blood the other night. Uh, at the Dreamland Cinema here in Sacramento, California, I uh, the I brought my uh, Arrow Blu-ray, uh, really good edition of it, and they used that for their screening print. And uh, it was interesting to see Bava use some zoom shots, zoomed in and out a little bit, but he didn't do it over dub over uh, overly like Franco does. He only did it a few times, but it was interesting to see him zooming in and out. So, but yeah, Franco ton- tons of excessive zooms in this. Number 11, out-of-focus shots. You know, I'm not going to say he did because it was video, and I think he had everything in focus on his video camera, so he, he didn't go in and focus on this quite a bit, so that was okay. And number 12, mirror shots. Yeah, in the opening hotel sequence, there's some decent, actually, shoots through panes of glass, and then you see the couple mirrors uh, reflecting the object, so that, that, was, that was decent. It was nice to see that. Kind of hasn't done that for a while, so it was nice to see that some nice mirror shots in this. Uh, number 13, mind control theme. I'm going to say yes because of the virtual reality glasses. When they put on the glasses, they're kind of under their mind control, and they see these things and go under the control of Dr. Wong. So I'm going to say that counts as mind control. Uh, number 14, ma- magic tongue scenes. Oh, yeah, Lena's using the magic tongue with the Nelly Evars in this, and she's showing it right so the camera can pick it up. So, yeah, definitely. Uh, 15, red light. No, no red light scenes. 16, sheepskin rug. No, masturbation with a C item. 
No, there's some masturbation, but nothing with a C item, just fingers. Uh, 17, mad scientist and servant. I'm going to say no, even though you could say Dr. Wong's a mad scientist because he invents those glasses and the servant could be his daughter, but eh, I, don't, I don't think so. Uh, but that's a that's a, a toss-up. Uh, 18, fish tank shots. No fish tank shots. 19, talking parrot. God, I wish there was a talking parrot in this, but no, no talking parrot. No talking parrot. Uh, 20, end credits, yes or no? Yes, there's video generated end credits at the end. Uh, number 11, handwritten notes. You know, I didn't see any handwritten cheesy signs, even though it would have fit perfectly in this film. Um, but I was also kind of like fast-forwarding through certain sections that just went on way too long, so I want to say no. 22, spiral staircase shot. No spiral staircases in this. But now I watch other films, I'll always count spiral staircase shots. There was a spiral staircase in uh, Bay of Blood last night, which is funny. Uh, 23, inept cops. No, there's no cops in this, just the detectives, and they solve the crime, so barely. 24, belly chains. Nope, nobody's wearing belly chains. That was more of a 70s deal. So This is 98, so it's kind of went by the wayside. 25, kinks. Well, let's see. You have a... Uh, I don't know, that's not really a kink, but I guess you have the naked daughters around the fathers uh, with Lena and her dad and uh, Rita and her dad. I don't know. Um, and then you have... Uh, I'm not going to count lesbianism and kink because that doesn't count. Um, you have... Oh, I guess there's S&M when... when uh, um, the Arvars plays uh, Loba, which is funny. Whips the shit out of Rita, so there's you got some S&M there. Um, and then you have, uh, I guess, voyeurism, which always is part of the deal, I guess, in these films. So, yeah, just real basic on this. Uh, 26, great headboards. No great headboards in this. Uh, number 27, fear or desire. I'm going to say desire, because they're all desiring the sex and uh, seeing the naked women with the glasses, and it's all just about the desire in this. Uh, 28, acoustic guitar player. Nope, nobody plays an acoustic guitar in this. Um, nothing, no guy playing a guitar, which used to be a thing quite a bit. Number 29, reading a book scene. No, nobody sits down and reads a paperback book. There's nothing to showcase anything like that. And finally, number 30, pee scene. No, nobody goes pee. Nobody talks about going pee. Nobody pisses in anything. So there's no uh, urine urine talk or nothing. Urine luck because there's no pee scenes in this. So uh, it's always fun to end with a bad joke. Um, so yeah, speaking of bad jokes, uh, the next film I got on the list is Vampire Blues. And I'm sure I'm going to have the blues watching that, but... I know I won't have the blues when I get to the end of the list, so we're getting we're getting closer to the end, folks. So, um, like I said, we started this back in October, uh, around Halloween of 2020, and we should be ending right around uh, October of 2023. So it'll be a nice three-year run for the Franco Observer Podcast. Um, I don't know if when that's over, if I'm going to go into a new show right away, because I got um, the Amityville. Aliens short that I'm going to be filming and editing around that time, and that's my my uh, due date is December on that, so I need to have that taken care of by that. And I'm in post production wrapping up stuff for She Knows Feratu, and I got to be putting my focus on that. But you know, I'm a film hound and I uh, can't put the film down, so I'm probably going to be doing a podcast on other film stuff, but. Be on the lookout for that. I don't know if it's going to be weekly or more sporadically or what. I don't know what I want to do on that. Because I do know as a podcast listener and as a podcaster myself, I do like a routine deal as a listener. Like, you know, once a week you'll get a show. I don't like shows that are just like you might get two a week and then nothing for a month. And then a few weeks later you might get one or two. I don't know. I'm not really into that. So if I can keep up the discipline of doing it, you know, maybe twice a month or something, I might be open for that and maybe do a little different style. So, But I, I, I've got some ideas, and if people listen and support it, I might be open for maybe Patreon or do, do something where I can actually make a few coins doing it, you know. So, all right, well, I think that's going to wrap up this thing. I've knocked out about 24 minutes or so 
talking about Dr. Wong's virtual hell, which I don't know if many people can talk about Dr. Wong's virtual hell for 20 minutes plus. So I think uh, we did okay on this episode today. So, all right, you fine folks, I will be seeing you again on the next episode, episode 151, Vampire Blues, another one-shot production. Hopefully that one shot won't be from a gun pointed at my head. So, when it's not just Maha. When it's not just Maha.